Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 128, Unnatural Selection. Welcome in to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. Wow. Wait, how? <laughs> yes, I can. Holy. Yes, you are John Champion. Oh. Oh, wow. This is an amazingly long bit. I don't think we can do this all the way to trivia, dude. Seriously. Oh, come on. I know. I really this my, I thought about it. My, my telepathic powers, if they reach you, they can reach all of our listening audience. Yeah, but having to talk, you know, all that way and explain everything. And, and I don't think people would buy it anyway. Uh, if I have to do it the old-fashioned way and actually talk into a microphone, then I will. Yes, welcome to Mission Log and today's episode, Unnatural Selection. And people may have a lot of stuff that they want to tell us. Let's go ahead and get that part out of the way right now. And people could probably actually say it along with us, which just makes it practically telepathic. <laughs> but just in case, for anybody new on board, remember the phrase Mission Log Pod. That's where you can find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Mission Log Pod in all of those places. You can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And we may even use comments that we just think you thought at us. So you know. that's always the most fun. Is it kind of like when you do a subtweet, you know, you tweet something that's really intended for somebody, but you don't name them. And we kind of do that on the show where it's like, well, somebody wrote in about this, but we won't say who it was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll totally take it out of context. That's a, a lot of fun. Do, yeah. Do yeah. you do that? Honestly, because I do say stuff to specific people without naming those people on this show. Mm-hmm. Also, I pull my yeah. ear a lot during the show, and that's a special message for somebody. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. you you and Tina Fey. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we have her on the show all the time. Yeah. Um, she sits quietly, but she's got some really great thoughts. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I did, the, uh, I did the contact thing. We did the opening mm-hmm. bit. Clock on the wall says that means it's time for trivia. Right on. Okay, in today's episode, Dr. Kingsley was played by veteran actor Patricia Smith, who uh, would have been about 59 years old when this episode was shot. Uh, She had a very solid career for much of her life and appeared alongside the great Jimmy Stewart in the movie The Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, She also had a recurring role on uh, the Bob Newhart show and was in the Twilight Zone episode Long Distance Call. Very creepy. Uh, today's episode on Natural Selection was directed by Paul Lynch, who we first encountered on The Naked Now and later on 11001001. He'll be back for more. And by the way, I just had to squeeze in that binary title because I feel like the further away we get from it, the greater chance that I'll forget it. Well, so I wanted to make sure I had it in there. I hate to be this jerk, but I have to correct you mm-hmm. on it. It's 11001001. Because you, oh, you, you're right. You were doing numbers and letters, and that yeah, that just no. doesn't fly with the. No. Try that in binary and see how yeah. far it gets you. Yeah, not with a binary. They'll, no. they'll just they'll they'll look at you like, 
come on. <laughs> what's what's like, your deal? I understood like half of what you said. <laughs> right, right. Um, now, John Mason gets a writing credit here. He was a producer on Next Gen for the first half of season two. And he shares that writing credit in today's episode with Mike Gray, who was also a producer on TNG during the second season. Um, now, they actually collaborated a lot in their careers, but uh, one of the more interesting things about Mike Gray is that one of his biggest projects was The China Syndrome. He had written that script hmm. and uh, was originally picked to direct it um, when Jane Fonda and Bruce Gilbert had kind of been shopping around for a project that had some, you know, political and activist roots in it. Um, so then they came along and Gilbert co-produced it actually with Michael Douglas's company. Michael Douglas, we know, had uh, produced uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. By the way, these Cuckoo's Nest uh, shout outs that I've given the last couple of episodes, uh, that's actually for our friend Allison, who asked me about the Star Trek and Cuckoo's Nest connection, mainly to do with actors. But now I'm now I'm going that uh, route of production staff as well. It's like the number 23. You're just going to see it in every episode now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're with uh, Star Trek, it'll be the number 47, yeah. which uh, shows up a lot of places, too. Okay. A lot of places. Crazy. Yeah. Um, now, the uh, the 12 year old in the episode who is definitely not 12 years old was uh, played by George Baxter. And uh, there is not a whole lot more about him. Um he actually didn't get a credit for this show, even though he plays a very prominent part. He just didn't have any speaking lines. Um, but outside of that, uh, he has worked behind the scenes on a few films, uh, worked in theater, musical theater, and uh, did a bit of work on soap operas as well. And uh, finally, Ken, in this episode, we spend uh, an all too brief amount of time with the the Lantry, the USS Lantry, another starship, a uh, Miranda class starship like the Reliant. And um, that shot that we get of the, the battle bridge or of the bridge, rather, of the Lantry, that is a redress of the battle bridge. And I find this so entertaining because it's one of those sets where the Enterprise D battle bridge is a redress of what was originally the Star Trek Phase Two bridge, which was then redressed for the movies, which was then redressed for the Battle Bridge on Next Gen, which they continued to redress. And in fact, they redressed it so much, made it into other sets and other pieces that by the time they're ready to film Star Trek Five. They had to build a new bridge because the Enterprise Bridge had been worked over so many times to become this battle bridge. It's Dr. Pulaski as you've never seen her before. In this episode, she has something to do. Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to Star Station India for... Oh, it doesn't matter. Picard tells his captain's log that he hopes to use the mission to assess his new chief medical officer, Dr. Pulaski, a bit more. He also asks Counselor Troy about her. Sure, she's dedicated, says Picard, but is she too dedicated? Troy says she gets Picard's concern, but does not share it. Their conversation is cut short by a distress call from the USS Landry, a Federation supply ship. The message is faint... The voice says they need help. They're dying. Then the transmission is lost. 
Act 1. Catching up with the Landry, there are no signs of life. The ship is fine, no battle damage, no system failures, but no life signs. And Counselor Troy is reading nothing off of anyone on the other ship. Riker and Picard decide to take over the Lantry systems. If they do, they can get a look at the bridge without going over. After gaining control of the Lantry, the Enterprise gets a remote look at the bridge. They see dead people. Old dead people. After running scans, Dr. Pulaski says the crew of the Lantry died of old age. Seem unlikely? Oh, just wait. Riker says the captain of the Lantry was his age. And Dr. Pulaski says that their medical reviews eight weeks ago, the entire crew was in perfect health. The only medical anything in the records before the advanced decrepitude was a case of Thalusian flu suffered by the first officer a few days ago. But that couldn't cause this. Last port of call for the Landry, the Darwin Genetic Research Station on Gagarin 4. The Enterprise will go to there after setting quarantine protocols around the Landry. Gagarin 4 has to be warned and perhaps quarantined itself. Act 2. At Gagarin Ford, the Enterprise makes contact with Dr. Kingsley, apparently in command of the Darwin Genetic Research Station. She's glad to see the Enterprise. They've just declared a medical emergency at the station. Dr. Pulaski wants to know the nature of the emergency. Wow, says Kingsley. Dr. Catherine Pulaski, author of Linear Models of Viral Propagation... Pulaski says that was a long time ago, though Kingsley says it's still the standard. Now Kingsley is double-plus pleased. So here's the deal. Everybody's getting really old really quickly. Now here's the other deal. This woman, who appears to be a handsome late 50s to mid-60s, just turned 35. Pulaski quizzes Kingsley on the genetic research they're doing there, though Kingsley says that can't have anything to do with this. They're dealing with human genetics, not viral contagions. Kingsley thinks Darwin Station was infected by the Lantry. Oh, yeah, says Picard. All those people are dead. Well, crap, says Kingsley. Can you do me a favor? Can you watch our kids for us? These would be the results of the human genetics Kingsley and crew have been doing. Pulaski and Picard say Darwin Station is under quarantine, so they will not be evacuating the children. Kingsley says the kids have been in isolation. They're showing no symptoms. Picard says they'll try to think of something. Cut to a conference room where senior staff is trying to think of something. Worf and Riker argue against contact. Pulaski says if the kids are healthy, they should be evacuated. She'd like to bring one aboard and have a look at it. Picard doesn't think so. Okay, well, how about I bring one aboard encased in styrolite and in suspended animation and have a look that way? To this, Picard agrees, and the Enterprise makes ready to receive one completely immobile and inert 12-year-old boy. What they get appears to be a young 20-something. But he is 12. Even in stasis, Troy is picking up some serious vibes off the kid. He's telepathic. Pulaski's kind of stoked. Picard's kind of uneasy. And we're on our way to Act 3. Act 3. Tests on the Wonder Kid are amazing. His immune system is so advanced, it may be impossible for him to get disease. Pulaski would like to wake him up, please. There's only so much you can do with an inanimate kid. Picard says it's too risky, though that does their exchange a bit of injustice. Voices are raised. Pulaski appeals to Picard's humanity. These are children who need to be saved, while Picard appeals to Pulaski's decorum. I'm fine getting other opinions, but I would like to finish the sentence every now and then. They end it like this. Prove that no harm can come to this ship or crew by waking him up, and you can wake him up. 
Now, this is a Dr. Pulaski episode. She talks with Troy about why she can't get along with Captain Picard, Troy's opinion, they might be a little too much alike to get along. Then Pulaski gives Kingsley the bad news. We can't evacuate your kids until we can be sure they're not the cause of the trouble. But she'll keep trying to think of something. Then she does. A conversation with Geordi gives her an idea. The only way to keep the ship safe would be to wake the kid off the ship, say, on a shuttlecraft. She'll go with him, wake him up, run her tests. She and Picard lock horns again, but ultimately, he'll let her take the risk. For science! Data will pilot the shuttlecraft, Pulaski will wake the kid, and the kid will... Well, he'll wake up. After being transported aboard, the kid does wake up and starts talking telepathically to Dr. Pulaski. Dr. Pulaski, who in short order has the first symptom of the advanced state of decrepitude experienced by the crew of Darwin Station. Act 4. Pulaski lets the Enterprise in on the bad news. She's sick, and the children apparently are the carriers. They beam the kid back to his ward at the research facility, then Pulaski and Data head to quarantine as well, since she can obviously not go back to the Enterprise now. On the Enterprise, Picard says Darwin Station is no longer their primary concern. Getting Dr. Pulaski and Commander Data back safely is. Troy says they should just beam them back. Data's probably immune, and the biofilter should biofilter out whatever's making Pulaski sick. But Transporter Chief O'Brien says that won't work. The 12-year-old was transported twice and still got Pulaski sick. O'Brien says they could try using the last record of Pulaski in the transporter to sort of recreate her from before her illness, but she's never used the transporter on the Enterprise. A little sleuthing and, oh noes, her transporter record from her last post has been taped over or something. Picard learns more than that, though. Captain Taggart of the Repulse, Pulaski's last assignment, says he'd have given anything to keep Pulaski. But once there was an opening on the Enterprise, there was no stopping her. She's a huge fan of Picard's. At the Darwin facility, Dr. Kingsley is all apologies, but she still can't believe her kids are the carriers. Take a look at them. They are perfect. Telepathic, telekinetic, not engineered, but created, you see. And with a super aggressive immune system... Say they came into contact with something innocuous, like, oh, the Lusian flu. Their immune system would release an active antibody that would attack the virus. Even at a distance. Huh. Data does some analysis, and that's what happened. Coming in contact with the flu, the kids' bodies released antibodies to attack the flu, but they just kept on attacking, altering the DNA of the healthy humans. And since the healthy humans become carriers, and since the DNA is self-replicating, yeah, they're going to die. Pulaski calls up the Enterprise to give the bad news. Picard orders her to beam back aboard. They'll put her in suspended animation and buy some time. But Pulaski refuses. She'll not let Picard make the same mistake she did. One last entry. Chief Medical Officer's log. Probably shouldn't have played God. Darwin Station should be quarantined forever. Pulaski out. Act 5. A despondent Captain Picard comes up with a plan. So, we don't have a trace pattern in the transporter to reconstruct Pulaski, but if we had a DNA sample from before she got super old, could we just use the transporter to reconstruct her that way? After lots of techno babble, O'Brien says, yes! Probably. They find a sample of her DNA in a hairbrush. 
It should work, though Transporter Chief O'Brien says if it doesn't work, they won't be able to reverse transport. Pulaski will just be vapor. Picard says if the risk is that great, he'll handle the transport. Fortunately, it does work, and that means they can do this for everyone on Darwin Station. The scientists there will stay and keep working in hopes of one day making their kids something that won't destroy all known life. Time now for fireworks! Oh, sorry, time now to blow up the lantry. Because with some contagions, quarantine beacons just won't do. Then it's off to Star Station India for... It doesn't matter. The end. Hey, if um, if you had to be beamed up... Yeah. Okay, and, and it was something really important. Yeah. Like, like they had to, say, reconstitute your younger body out of your prematurely aged body. Yes. Okay. Would you want the guy who sits in the captain's chair to do that, or would you want the guy whose given job title is transporter chief yeah, to I, do that job? I love that. Well, dude just got a name. You really don't want to hang that kind of trouble on him, right? I thought he got it, a name. I, I thought he it was got kinda, a name. I thought it was kind of funny, though, because uh, O'Brien says, yeah, this is a one-way trip. If it doesn't work, that, that we're not going to be able to do anything. And Picard's like, I, I'll do that. <laughs> and O'Brien says, thank you. I'm going to be as far away from the controls as I possibly can be. Right. Yeah, I, I completely right. did not understand that. In fact, I, don't be, I didn't want to be snarky about it. Yeah. But okay, so Picard is sitting on the bridge and he's despondent, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's like so bummed because he's going to lose Pulaski um, and Data, theoretically, mm-hmm. but mostly Pulaski. And uh, he comes up with a plan that the medical person did not come up with, the engineer did not come up with, and the transporter chief did not come up with. Right. He, he puts the whole thing together. He's like better than Columbo right. in this episode. <laughs> right. And he's right. like he's like Batman in this episode yeah. in a way. He can do everything. And yet still in a very thoughtful contemplative way, not in the, you know, sort of Kirk can do everything kind of thing. Although mm-hmm. I was reminded mm-hmm. of was it it was the motion picture, right? There's a problem with the transporter, which oh, right, right. Rachel Band is running and, and Kirk like yeah. shoves her out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And loses them and then turns to Rand and says, uh, there's nothing you could have done. Well, especially yeah. not, you know, once you shove me out of the way, Captain Captain Captain. <laughs> I think it's our second shout out in as many weeks to uh, that unfortunate transporter incident with yeah. uh, Commander Soval. Yeah. Yeah. We we talk about that quite a bit actually. We do. And I have yeah. a feeling we might be talking about the transporter a bit and again. We might, well. we might, we yeah. might, yeah. But hey, but we got a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm so happy. We're only into the second season of the Next Generation, and we finally gave that guy a name. Who, at this count, has been on the show way, way more than Chief Argyle ever was. That's true. That's true. Yeah. They had high hopes for Argyle. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. O'Brien's a bit like Lieutenant um, Call. except except yeah he's actually been on i think he's probably been on more than kyle was hasn't he yeah well no no maybe not more at this point okay but but that time is way coming yeah yeah Yeah, i I get i guess i don't know maybe it's not who can say um i mentioned at one point how i liked that we opened a show with the medical officer's log Mm -hmm. and and you correctly pointed out well you know we change it up but it's not really relevant but in this we have a lot of relevance and we have a lot of medical officer's log 
Yeah. Which, again, I like that they break it up a little bit, maybe a little too much too soon. <laughs> now that we've established this as a way to, to break up the way the show is presented, um, but definitely more relevant to the story uh, than the medical officer log in the schizoid man. Yeah, I would say so. I actually I like. Um, well, we'll get into the treatment of uh, the Pulaski character uh, mm-hmm. later. Um, sure. I, I do not like, though, the look of surprise on the part of Riker and Picard. They're amazed that uh, Kingsley has heard of Pulaski. And, and, and I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. dude, read a book, you know, <laughs> I mean, because yeah. and, and I don't understand, too. So like so at the beginning of the episode, uh, Picard yeah. is very curious about how, you know, about Pulaski. Um, yeah, not curious enough to actually look up anything about her himself. He's right. too busy reading a very old book at his right. desk. But he will call, you know, uh, Troy in to say, so uh, tell me about Pulaski. And she's like, uh, she's cool. And Picard's like, okay, is she too cool? And, and Troy's like, no, no, she's just cool enough. And then, <laughs> and then later, Picard's just like talking to some other guy. And he's like, man, does she love you? And Picard's like, really? I never, I never got that. That's kind of... Did you know she wrote a book, by the way? Yeah. <clears throat> that was a weird scene because when he asks Troy... You know, what What do you make of her? What's she like? I just kept thinking, Deanna, just say, she's been on the ship for weeks. She's no, part no. of your senior staff. Yeah. She's important. Maybe, maybe, maybe try talking to her. <laughs> now, in, right. in fairness, right. uh, not unlike, you know, me with you, she apparently won't let him finish a sentence. <laughs> I, I feel like after watching this episode, I owe you an apology. I know I yeah. interrupt you a lot. I'm sorry, man. I'm, oh, I am... I'm the worst chief medical officer a podcast has ever had. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was just an uncomfortable scene. I, I kept placing it somewhere else. Dem Cook shows up one day at Apple and says, like, what about Johnny Ive? What about that guy? Is, is he a good guy or what? Right. What can you tell me help about me this? here. Jeff Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your, your second in command? That guy? Yeah. That's, a, that's true. He actually he knew much more about Riker when he came came on he can actually tell Riker about certain things that had happened to Riker it's look this is exposition for us we understand that it's a little clumsy maybe it would have been better if he had said so I've been reading up on your thing and it turns out you got the huts for me I mean I don't know what he might have (laughs) I don't know what he how he might have said that in a different way but yeah for for Picard to have been so clueless about Pulaski to this point is Mm -hmm. uh, is a little surprising um hey how about that antique computer system on darwin station um I, I you know i wanted something for a trivia about it i wanted to just plop this right into trivia and say yeah that thing was made by this company and the show rented it from here because they would rent props all the time and, and i don't have any details sadly but i'm pretty sure that i shot on uh, saw it on shows produced by universal studios like in the 70s or 80s maybe like Bionic Man. It may have actually been the same console that Anthony Zerb used in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park to control the evil Kiss robots. Wow. Yeah, you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I couldn't name the computer, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that that thing with the the old school uh, monitors in it, you know, not the flat screen, and the big toggle switches, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, science apparently has about the same fate in the 24th century. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. That it's suffering in parts of the world today. We maybe. don't care to fund it at uh, all. Maybe not. Yeah. What, is there something wrong with that computer? Well, <laughs> you can't even talk to it, but, you know, otherwise I guess I guess it's fine. 
Yeah. I, I do have a question though about the scientists there. Maybe maybe that computer is penance for them. So so here's mm-hmm. what Kingsley says. All right, we're going to send you a 12 year old boy, and okay. and they're like, okay, you're going to send us a 12 year old boy. And she's like, yep, one 12 year old boy coming up. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. I'm around him so much, I don't even see it anymore. You're right. He looks 20. I probably should have warned you. I probably should have mentioned. Yeah, and then they go to the window, and she's like, look, the oldest one in there is 12, and they're all a bunch of 20-somethings. They would have been perfectly at home in the uh, – in the, and, and they were all stand-ins for the Edo. I mean, they were they were the oh, yeah, perfect yeah. specimen. They were about yeah. that age, you know, but they were, you know, apparently between 8 and 12 years old. Right. Might I would have been good that. to warn them. I, it seems like it was just maybe Dr. Kingsley's flair for drama. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to do this thing and I know it'll freak you out, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Maybe that would have been helpful for Deanna to come along and say, yeah, she says she's sending us a 12 year old. Well, now she did say that they were hiding something, but is that what they were yeah, hiding? Yeah. Well, I mean, what's, why, why, why do that? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, she's lucky that Worf did not just disintegrate that kid the second he saw him. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with the amount of detail given in this show to the whole idea of like quarantine and the medical systems and how they're all separated from the other ship systems. You know, there's a lot of that in this episode, and it may be too much, but I feel like it's a, a clean break from the original series where literally we would have beamed something up unknown directly to the bridge, and then probably somebody would have put it in their mouth and, and died. You know, like the, yeah. this is a lot of protocol. This is a lot of protocol. Yeah. Although I will say it's not completely without precedent. I mean, what happened with the Enterprise taking over the systems of the Lantry actually happened in Star Trek Two. Yes, that's how yes. Kirk lowered the boom on Khan and and mm-hmm. the Reliant. Mm-hmm. Although it was yeah. a little bit less involved right. than, <laughs> like they just had like a code book apparently on the Enterprise. Yeah. In Star Trek 2 that just gave me the code for every ship. Let's hope that never falls into anybody's hands. (laughs) Right. That'd be bad. You mentioned the scene where uh, Pulaski uh, gets data into the shuttlecraft and says, okay, we're taking the shuttlecraft out so we can do our thing. And and Data asks, like, you do have the captain's permission to do this, right? Did you notice that Pulaski just never answered Data at all? Yeah, I was actually a little uh, confused by that whole scene, though, because why is Data asking that? Yeah. I, well, I, I don't know who weird. has higher rank in, right. in, in the org chart. I don't know if uh, Pulaski would be um, – who's next in command, actually? So it goes, it goes Picard, Riker, and then who? Well, yeah. See, I, I, I would think that it would be Data. Data, right. Data. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but you would think that Data would actually get his orders from – if she doesn't rank him, then you would think that, that he might he might check with the captain himself. Right. Unless she can just pull it, eh, it's a medical emergency. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is my thing. Right. <laughs> you know? Unless next week it's going to be like, Wesley, are you sure the captain said I should buy you cigarettes and beer? <laughs> right. Right. Come on, Data. Would I tell you he didn't if he didn't? Come on. It's <laughs> yeah. Do it. Just do it. Right. And um, in this episode, you know, genetic engineering on humans, totally cool. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, nobody said the K word. No, you see, you're Con. wrong. You're wrong, though. What? You're wrong. Yeah. No, yeah. genetic engineering is not cool. Human, genetic engineering on humans is totally uncool. Totally not cool. These okay. were genetically created. Oh, that's the difference. World of difference. Okay. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that difference is, but I'm, I'm assuming some lawyer somewhere said, look, what you guys are up to is not... 
Well, now, if you say you, you created it, then you should be in the clear. <laughs> it's Transporter Chief O'Brien, as you've never seen him before. In this episode, he has a name. Can you recall several episodes ago, many, many episodes ago, when I said that I was a little miffed that that early in the run of TNG, they had decided to revisit a script idea, a plot idea from the original series. When um, they did the, the Naked Time, yes. cleverly became the Naked Now. Yes, very cleverly. Even though the edict had come down from on high saying, we will not talk about stuff that happened in the original series. And then, boom, just second episode out. Here we go. We're just going to name check Kurt. We won't talk much about stuff that happened in the original series. We definitely won't talk about what happened in the cartoon, but we won't talk much about what happened in the original series. No, you just wait for the cartoon. Yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, it's good. It is. It is. But I I just, oh, man, I, I felt like we're now we're doing the deadly years and now we're season two of next gen. Now we're doing season two of the original series by going back to the deadly years. Now, fortunately there was other stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had the genetic, uh, well, not modification, but genetic creation of new human beings, a little something else to chew on there. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I was a little miffed at the whole retread of showing like, oh, look, these people are getting older and we have to stop it because getting old is terrible. Well, remind me, though, what was happening in the deadly years? How did that how did that come to pass? Because, you know, it's been well, it's been years since we watched it. And I honestly don't remember. Well, well here's the problem with the deadly years is that it happens and then McCoy solves it mm-hmm. and then they're done. I mean, literally, it's one of those episodes where it's like, here's the thing that happened. And now we got to wait until minute number, you know, 47 out of the 48 minute runtime. Okay. And then you have young Captain Kirk bounding back onto the bridge. See, I don't they weren't similar enough to me. I mean, the whole thing where I mean, it's just a science fiction thing, it seems to me, where suddenly somebody's getting old. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I talked about the advanced decrepitude. I can't remember. I think that was mentioned in one of the Bill and Ted movies. Like that actual terminology, um, the hunger, uh, Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie. It's a it's a much better, oh, yeah, yeah, much better movie than it is a, a novel. And yeah. sadly, I read the novel and only saw the movie the one time. Um, it. I mean, this is something that happens in science fiction. So I'm willing to cut this some slack. I mean, Star Trek covered a lot of ground. The original series and the animated series both covered a decent amount of ground. So you're going to hit some of the same themes again. This yeah. did not feel to me like a retread in the same way that the naked what was. <laughs> right. It, it did to me, unfortunately. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, and then, man, you know, we, we mentioned it briefly in the last segment. And, and Ken, can we just please not even go there about the transporter making somebody young again? And what I mean by that is that I wrote that line because I know that it, we are definitely going there again. And mm. we will talk about that whole thing again. Because now we're using retread of a plot device from the anime of the series. The um, counterclock incident. What? Huh? Yeah. You remember, we did the animated series because it came after TOS, but yeah. before the movies. Right. And there was that episode, the counterclock incident, where yeah. they're aging backwards. And then Robert April, God bless him, he doesn't want to become young Robert April again. He's just going to stay old. And they use the transporter to do all of that. Don't no. you remember, Ken? No, no, no. That never happened, dude. 
That never happened. You heard Jordy LaForge. That has never been done before. Nothing like this has ever even been tried <laughs> before. D- just d- Look, there was no cartoon, okay? Oh, God. <laughs> there was no cartoon. How, how, how dare you? How dare you and Jordy LaForge oh, how dare you, team, up on, Mr. team up on me like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. There's a lot that I don't understand about the way they're treating the transporter here. I mean, if you want to say it's risky, if you want to say it's mm-hmm. only been done a few times, I mean, I have to assume that Lucian uh, stole the, 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 the captain's logs from the animated series years, or maybe even just stole the captain's logs from Star Trek, the original <laughs> series all the way through to the animated series up until you know they start doing the motion picture. Because it's just done too many times. I mean, did mm-hmm. did they not actually do like some transporter foo during the original series as well? Well, we didn't make anybody younger. No, did we not? No, I thought there was like some way that we cured somebody or helped somebody or did something in the transporter. Was that all animated series? Oh, oh uh, it was. Well, I remember it being particularly egregious during the animated. Oh series. yeah, the animated yeah. series was like every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't remember anything really. Okay. particular about the original series where you can actually like cure a disease All right. by beaming somebody up. I mean, cool if you could. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you can. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, this is something. Yeah. And, and I, I, I have said before that one of my favorite parts about when, when Rod asked me if I wanted to do this show mm-hmm. years ago now. Years. Hmm. Can you believe it's been years? I know. And, and when you say when he asked you to do the show, you meant this particular one when he said, like, you're going to get to unnatural selection. No, no, that's <laughs> the that's next cute. generation. No, but here's yeah. the thing. So we used to. So so when he asked me if I wanted to do a mission log, I said, so basically you're asking me if I want to do a show that is what one of my roommates in Boston and I used to do when Star Trek uh, Next Gen was originally on. Mm-hmm. We would watch mm-hmm. an episode and then we would sit and talk about it. And one of the things that we always talked about is, OK, so the trend transporter right you're, you're just making people why don't you just make like 20 picards he's the best captain in the fleet right so make 20 picards yeah. make a good god make like 150 datas at least right and you right. know and and i'm right. gonna need a bunch of troys and uh oh that blonde woman what was her name yeah you know, oh she's, uh, yeah she's kind of a little sex kitten sometimes uh Tara, tough Tara. As nails. i don't i don't remember her name yeah. anyway mm-hmm. uh, make a few of those because you know well well, heck, we lost the more last than one. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no yeah. question. It's, it was weird how they're like treating it like, like it was a totally foreign concept because anybody who's thought about the transporter for more than 30 seconds is going yeah. to have thought of this possibility. You know, it, it's funny. Here's my subtweet of the episode. <laughs> do, you, do you remember getting uh, an email? And I think it actually came through Twitter as well. And it might have been two different people who said that maybe this answers why in the original series, nobody could remember anything that happened from week to week. Yes. Because every time they get beamed up or beamed someplace, you're just starting <laughs> over with a brand new crew. Yes. <laughs> I was actually amazed that they told Pulaski what the plan was. And I was amazed that they tried to transport her once they understand that they can go ahead and make her from hair in her brush mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. once they once they realize that they don't even need to call her yeah right <laughs> right yeah although how it is that her memories i mean you're right every time you transport i guess yeah. the, last, the last thing that happened yeah i don't know well don't okay know. so yeah th- this is interesting stuff then because I, there are a lot of science things that i geek out about Mm-hmm. And and the whole idea of aging and DNA, this is very fascinating territory for me, but I'm not particularly well-versed in this. And all I could think about was 
I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I thought that our DNA basically stays the same when we age. I mean, mutations may show up as things like cancer, but but really, you know, you, your genetic code is the same. Mm-hmm. Your, your body's just making new cells, and then those cells will eventually age and die, and then your body doesn't make any more cells at a certain point. Um, so, quitter, yeah, right? <laughs> um, so I was wondering how this would work to make somebody younger mm-hmm. as a younger version of themselves. And then I was thinking about, you know, counterclock incident, all that stuff. And and if memories and personality, but memories in particular would be from the day that that hair got pulled out of Pulaski's head through that brush. Yeah. So if they reached, if they grabbed a hair that had just happened to come out on the brush yesterday, Great, but if they got when they came out like the day she got on board the Enterprise, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Well, here's the problem though, because the hair that they find is like four inches long. So, which part yeah. are they going to recreate it from? Luckily, Data says there are follicles and that that's actually living cells. So, my mm-hmm. assumption is that that's actually the part. But let's say they only found like half a hair, right? Yeah, and it yeah. was no follicle, and the hair was like four inches long, and hair grows at what? Uh, half an inch a week (laughs) (laughs) eighth of an inch a week i don't even know but let's say let's say it takes you know months to get like a four inch long hair right yeah yeah so this is like she's going to remember being on the repulse right (laughs) right this should be like where am i who's who's the bald guy giving me orders now it's gonna like uh, like materialize on the transporter screaming (laughs) man i i you know i i hate to tip my hand i enjoyed this episode i'm enjoying Mm. the episode we're making right now just a whole lot more (laughs) (laughs) that's that's Uh, the one to make yeah that's that's just a scary scary episode we're making put cat's paw to shame yeah Yeah. okay Uh, okay i'll 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 try to find a, a serious note here all right Somewhat, um, because what I did find very interesting, and I think this is kind of at the at the core of this show, and and I was hoping we'd get more of it, was the debate about safety of scientific experimentation versus that kind of strong-headed, passionate desire to just jump in and do what the doctor, in this case Pulaski, thinks is right. She goes to great lengths, and Picard has totally valid points many times about how he cannot risk the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought about this, the idea of scientists throughout history who, who have done the seemingly rash and some might even say insane things that either end up working out okay or at at the very least, hopefully contribute to the body of knowledge that then helps the next researcher, the next scientist. You know, the, the Wright brothers, by all accounts, were crazy getting into their machine that would fly them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when everybody who had gone before them with a heavier than air machine would either crash and or die. You know, but it, it took a couple of guys to actually say, OK, well, we will risk this again. And and the um, the the critics be damned. We will try to do this and we'll put ourselves at risk to do this. 
So I thought there was really valuable debate in what was going on. And that's why I kind of mentioned that in the previous section about how he really liked the idea and and how they sort of geeked out on the idea of, well, what are these protocols that we will go through? What is every possible thing that we can do? Mm-hmm. To try to protect the people on the Enterprise. I love that. Uh, what do they call it? The styrolene, um, where basically you beam up this guy encased in plastic. Kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was fascinating. Styrolene, styrolite. Styrolite. Styrolite well, six, actually. Yes. Yeah, because that's the best one. Yeah, oh, it is. It, it, one through five. See, it took a bunch of guinea pigs, <laughs> one through five, <laughs> right. to figure out that stuff did not work. That's absolutely, that's true. That's true. But yeah. seven is overkill. Yeah, yeah, you don't need a seven. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of crazy. Do. I was yeah. actually a little confused. So he's completely inert. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's in suspended animation. He's he's wrapped in lucite mm. or dip, <laughs> dipped in lucite or something. Yeah. And, and yet uh, Troy can still get the telepathic vibe off him. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was kind of weird. Yeah, that was a little weird. Well, he, he is telepathically powerful. Well, I but, guess, but I mean, yeah. it's, but he's not awake. I mean, she can just she can just like look at a look, <laughs> look at a totally inert, like you know, completely drugged out to the point of immobility person, mm-hmm. and go, oh yeah, he's he's telepath. Yeah, I can well, just, uh, I can just feel it uh, again with you know Deanna just sort of prodding where <laughs> maybe she hadn't been invited to, but she did. Well, and it was good that she knew because again, this is another chance for Pulaski to just like wake up screaming right if she's on the shuttle. <laughs> And she you know, takes the kid out of lucite, and then he starts just right. like talking into her head. Yeah, she may she may think that she's gone absolutely loopy. Yeah. So, I was I, yeah. Okay. So, so I journal, mm-hmm. and I found myself uh, writing about Pulaski the other day. Totally surprised, mm-hmm. but but here's what I came up with, and I went back and read it, and I thought this is probably a good time to share these thoughts. So I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna share these thoughts with you, um, and and anybody listening. So everybody listen in. Uh, maybe the problem with Pulaski is that she came without friends. Uh, one could reasonably argue that she is McCoy, but female. And I know, you know, there are differences, but I mean, one could argue that they were basically trying to make that character again, but, you know, a bit different. Um, McCoy was cantankerous. He was afraid of or distrusting of technology, uh, and he broke the rules as needed. He was a constant thorn in the side of Spock, the way that Pulaski is with the next gen's answer to Spock, Data. Um, but McCoy was Jim's friend, and he was presented as Jim's friend. So, so we forgave uh, McCoy. Pulaski is nobody's friend from the beginning. She's not anybody's enemy. I mean, she's not, she's not a bad person. But, I mean, we're seven episodes into her before we learn that she idolizes Picard and before that we hear that she's actually made friends with Troy. And so I'm wondering if um, each sold separately is the reason that people have difficulty uh, with her the way that they did not have with McCoy. Now, I also wondered, um, is it just the nature of 80s television versus 60s television? They grow characters in the 80s instead of simply saying, you know, here in 1960-something. We were just handed McCoy, you know what I mean? Whereas we kind of have to get to know uh, Pulaski. And, of course, I mean, there's the fact that she, you know, displaced Gates McFadden in people's minds, or she displaced uh, displaced Crusher in people's minds. Um, and the final last thing I was wondering is: is it just sexism? A cantankerous middle aged man is somewhere between tolerable to acceptable to uh, admirable, whereas a cantankerous middle aged woman is a harpy, a shrew, or a battle axe. And it just it, it, it seems to me that 
I don't know. Th- those were just some of the things I was wondering about because I've heard a lot of the hate that people have for Pulaski. Yeah, right. And I'm right. not feeling it. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, why people do so much. I'm really glad that you shared what you wrote because I, I, I think you hit it from both angles, which is the, the fictional world of Star Trek The Next Generation, this character that we are sort of forced to accept because, okay, now she's part of the crew, but also the angle of the reality of making a TV show. And I think they both may play a part here. The idea that for an entire season, we have been told to accept and like this other character, Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Crusher, and not only told to accept and like this character, Dr. Crusher, but she has a couple of intimate ties to the crew. I mean, she's got her son who is is there and, and is prominent. And then there's this, you know, questionable relationship or or at least a, a personal uh, level of intimacy with the captain that, that he doesn't have with anybody else on board. So, the difficulty then, I think, for the writer-producer is to come in and say, okay, we're not going to have this actor, and we're not going to recast that role. So we have a new character, new shoes to fill, and we want to make it very different from that other character. So what can we do as a personality type to kind of create a foil or, or at least a uh, a new you know, kind of a, a new presence on the show. And maybe what's so difficult or at least different to swallow with her is that she is she's kind of tough, mm-hmm. but she also seems to be totally at home. You know? Yeah. Like, it, it, here's the thing. In the, if we take this fictional world as the real world, well, okay, anybody who comes into a new job, they, they have to take that time to make friends, and they have to take that time to sort of find their footing. But there's something about, I think, the actor here actually sort of inhabiting that space very well. Remember how we talked about in Where No Man Has Gone Before, how good Gary Lockwood is? Mm-hmm. as Gary Mitchell, because he just seems like he's been there forever. And he seems like, you know, when he comes into the turbo lift and he's like just chattering with uh, with Kirk and you go, yeah, this guy belongs here more than anybody else on the show. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Dr. Pulaski. And I think it's because you have Dinah Moldar, who's a little, little older and she was older than uh, Patrick Stewart. Uh, at the time of making the show, if I'm not mistaken, um, that she just sort of seems at home. Yeah. And And I think, yeah, that's something to do with the character as well. I mean, and the Mm -hmm. child, she's been on the ship for like three hours and she hasn't come to say anything to the captain yet. And it's because she's already at work. I mean, granted in a bar, but she's, she's, (laughs) she's already at work. She's already doing what it is. She has to do. I, I wonder it's got to be the Gates McFadden thing, either that or the fact that she's a woman. Seriously, and I'm not, and I'm not, I don't. It's look, it's it's who we as a society are, and it's wrong and it's terrible. But you will always, oh, middle aged grumpy men are irascible. They, they made a mini mm. movie. It's called Grumpy Old Men, and you know that's just funny. Whereas, yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. a grumpy old woman is either funny because she's losing her mind, sort of like uh, Sophia on Golden Girls, or we hate her. I mean, those are our two options, and and I and I think uh, that that 
sadly does this character a bit of disservice. Yeah, I agree. It's Captain Picard as you've never seen him before. In this episode, he hugs someone. Well, this is it. There are no more questions about this episode. It is time now to make up our minds about the messages, morals, and meanings around uh, unnatural selection and whether or not the episode stands the test of time. John Champion. Which do you want to start with? Messages, morals, and meanings? Or do you want to start with whether or not the whole thing holds up? Uh, let's, let's talk about the messages, morals, and meanings. Okay. First. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that with the message here, I, I kind of thought that we would have gotten uh, the, the Kirk risk is our business speech again. Hmm. And, and really making Pulaski more of that, that Kirk character, certainly than Picard. Um, but that, that seemed where it was heading and, and we didn't get it exactly like that. Maybe not quite as eloquent and dramatic as that. Um, but it felt like it was going there. And, um, and I really appreciate what she says about, uh, at the end of the episode, failure, not being failure, because sometimes there is knowledge to be gained even when you don't expect it. Mm Um, it's funny, just recently I was, watching uh from the great courses um the the series of like online videos and and uh, uh educational materials neil degrasse tyson doing this one the inexplicable universe and and he kind of hit on the exact same thing and he was talking about over centuries scientists and well before there was a scientific method <laughs> but um e- explorers and theorists trying to figure out how the universe works and so many of them getting it wrong and failing in their search for knowledge but then somebody is able to come along and build upon that so i liked the way that they were able to kind of tie this up at the end with that kind of message i also felt like there was a little bit a little bit of that star trek message we see every now and then like uh don't play god yeah you know, don't don't try to be superhuman because it will only lead to your ruin, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, which, again, I, I feel like is a little strange for a show that has such a love affair with technology sometimes. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no shortcuts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that really is, I mean, you know, we can we can work to better ourselves and we can eventually evolve to these things. I mean, didn't the, the Metarons tell us that one day we would be as powerful as they are? Mm-hmm. But one day. Yeah, what do they know? 5,000 years, 10,000 years, you know. Right. It's going to take a lot of time. Right. And we're not going to tell you how, but don't worry. You'll get there. Yeah. Assuming you don't, you know, blow yourselves <laughs> up. That would, the, the, the don't play God thing, I mean, if you're looking forward to sort of a, a, a basic message, uh, that seemed to be the basic message here, although I, I didn't – while that is a message that can be applied to the episode, I didn't really feel like this was a message episode per se. I mean the message mm-hmm. is there, but it really did strike me as more of a character episode. It struck me as more of a uh, getting to know um, Dr. Pulaski episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we got to take that character, put her in, in an extremely risky situation mm-hmm. um, and, and let her sort of – put herself out there on the limb. Now you can debate back and forth whether or not she was justified in that because, you know, first she 
first, she was acting in a way that could have jeopardized the Enterprise and the rest of the crew on it. And then she acts in a way that jeopardizes herself. And as far as I know, she's the only chief medical officer we've got. (laughs) So, But you can apparently get another one because, you know, we used to have another one. Yes. I don't know. I mean, think about who was it, though? Um, Spock. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she wants to do this thing and she's pretty sure she's right. And mm-hmm. and so she goes to the captain and says, I want to do this thing. And he says, no. And she says, OK. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, Spock he, in, in, uh, in uh, the motion picture, he just didn't ask the captain. He, yeah. he, he knew he was right. So what he did was he just you know, snuck around the side and, uh, and did what he yeah. wanted to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think most of those messages hold up, but I, I think the don't play God thing, or at least don't take shortcuts, well, hey, you know, we go from episode to episode where it works out, and then sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right, so, so, then, so then what about the episode holding up? Does it, as far as you're concerned? Well, that's what I think is so weird about this episode. You know, if you just go through the checklist, okay, we, we've got genetic engineering, so call back to Khan to Space Seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the rapid aging. So call back to Deadly Years. Check. And uh, the transporter saves the day. Uh, counterclock incident, etc. Check. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. We're, we're 100. Yeah. What, what episode is this? 128. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we doubled up on the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So that was 13. So 26. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So we're actually over 150 episodes of Star Trek or 150 Star Trek stories in right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to hit a little repetition every now and then. Yeah. But I feel like in the case of this episode, there are times when you want the same but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is one of those episodes where they're just sort of throwing everything at the wall to see if anything will stick. Mm. And at the end of the show, I, I don't really know that anything does stick in a big important way i did get to geek out about the medical protocols on the new enterprise cool and we got to see some bickering about how to dive into research which is cool yeah and we got to see pulaski kind of put herself on the line which i think was also very cool but as a story as an episode you know i'll kind of use the criteria that we used with the original series if you're sitting somebody down in front of the TV to watch Next Gen for the first time. Is this an episode that you're going to show them? And I think out of the 28 episodes that we've done so far of Next Gen, mm-hmm. no. No. No, 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 no. This is not going to be the one that's going to represent Next Gen I mean, mm-hmm. to the point that we've seen. And so that means it's certainly not going to be for the whole series. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not exactly how we're watching it. I mean, that's one standard to take sure. it by. But sure. another standard would be... Um, code of honor i mean i mean it's not it's not it's not a bad episode i don't think and in fact if you're looking at it as part of a as part of a continuity if you're looking at it as okay well we're trying to weave together a crew we're trying to weave together a cohesive unit Mm -hmm. which again is not something that um the original series was ever interested in doing i mean it was really more in the movies that we got that kind of you know people might be interested in whether or not these guys actually like each other or care about each other you know what <laughs> right, i mean i mean right. they were always on a ship before and it was it was you know saturday night at nine or whatever time it came on mm-hmm. you know and so we were going to watch it because it was there 
and and maybe because you've got 30, 40, 50 channels by the time Next Gen is on, you've actually, or maybe it's just, again, as we've talked about many times in the past, maybe it's just a maturing of storytelling as we've gone forward. Yeah. You, you've actually got to make people, we don't have to, but you're, you're well served having people care about the characters. And so we actually spend this episode looking more into a character who I don't know whether she was maligned at this point or not, as far as fans are concerned, but the writers had to know this is an unknown quantity. Last year, everybody was an unknown quantity. And by the end of it, a lot of people got comfortable with a lot of what they had. And now here's this variable again. So let's, let's go into this and try to make her, you know, part of this, uh, part of what we hope is going to be a cohesive whole. Now, you know, I, should we skip forward or not? I mean, good. I'm glad they did this early. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of time to do this with Pulaski. But, right. Um, right. I mean, to me, you no, know, this is not the episode that you're going to say, oh, you've never seen Star Trek The Next Generation? Here, watch this one. No, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's definitely not going to be that. But as part of the, as, as, as part of the whole thing, um, I thought it held up well. In fact, I was surprised how well I thought it held up because I, I remembered thinking, uh, it's the one where she gets old and looks bad in the makeup and you know, right, right. all that stuff. Because the makeup on her doesn't – I mean, I've seen worse. Yeah, but, yeah. Like that, like that, Like that one with that guy in the wheelchair that didn't work. Ew. Yeah, his makeup was a lot uh, yeah. worse. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's um, – I, I don't know. I Like I said before, I actually – I enjoyed this episode and uh, it, it worked for me. See, it's interesting. I, I kind of give it a eh. – it's all right. It's not, you know, it had interesting ideas in it for me. Yes. And I do, and I do like Pulaski uh, overall. You know, I like the, again, I like the idea. <laughs> right. So just so we're we, clear, you like the character that it's about, and you like the ideas that are presented, but you didn't But like I think as a story, yeah, I think yeah, okay. as a story, it doesn't hold up particularly well. Right. Um, but what I wonder is now that we've spent... Uh, you know, a large chunk of this episode talking about how this episode works for a character mm-hmm. to try to solidify why that character is there. You know, we got a lot of email about our discussion about Pulaski before. And mm-hmm. I wonder if the people who had kind of dug in their heels about hating her to begin with, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to irritate them even more. So I, don't I, know. I really wonder. I guess, really want- I, I guess we'll find out. And uh, for people who don't remember how to get in touch with us, seriously, I said it like 15 minutes ago. Right. <laughs> Actually, if you check the show notes, uh, we do have the ways to get in touch with us, or you can just rewind to the beginning, or you can wait until next week, because uh, we will say that information again. Uh, we will also say this information again. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit uh, trekmovie.com. Hey, Ken, next week we get to do it all over again with A Matter of Honor. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. It's data as you've never seen him before. In this episode, he's not worried about not being human. And Transmission. 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.